Oaths Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Hello friends and listeners, welcome to a new episode, episode number 18 of season 8 of the Thoth Hermes podcast. My name is Rudolf, I am your host and this welcome comes to you from the outskirts of Austrian's beautiful capital, Vienna. Today is July the 3rd, yes, and this episode should have been out already a week ago and I do apologize for that. We had no episode last week running. Well, uh, just not enough time for me with all the things I need to do also to earn my life and sometimes to take a rest and see my people here. So, um, sorry about that. Uh, that happens from time to time. Uh, so, it is July the 3rd here today and finally we are here. My guest here today is Nikki Weird and actually this is what I call a trio episode. I had two of them already before. What is a trio episode? It's an episode where I ask one of my previous guests here on the podcast to be my co-host. And then I ask that person um, who we could invite together for that show. And that's what also happened here. And my co-host here today is Mark Morgan, who was the last guest on episode six uh, here um, well, quite some time ago already you know time flies really we've done hmm, 40-ish episodes since in between amazing time flies so um mock he suggested nikki weird and what a good idea um it's true i want to have her for some time and he brought it back to my mind and um so nikki is our guest here today and the subtitle of our episode today is from chaos magic to psychedelic research that um, gives two of the main focus points of nikki weird's life as a magician and um, so that will also be of course big part of our talk and interview here today so for the time being i want to say hello to all those who are here for the first time. Welcome on the Thoth Hermes podcast. Great to have you with us. And a hearty welcome also to all of you returners. It's great to have you here back and uh, it's great to be back after a week of break. And um, also thank you to everyone of those of you who are patrons of this show, who support this show financially. Once again, I need to say it. I need to say it every week, and I cannot stop until, well, a number of you have also become patrons. Please do consider becoming a patron. We need your support to sustain, make this podcast sustainable, especially in those times. I know we all have problems at the moment, financially, etc. And of course, a podcast costs money, and we need you to maintain this podcast like it is. Okay, so do go to our website on the Thoth Hermes podcast website that is thothermes.com 
want to say prize, but that's spelled C-H-O-C-H-E-R-M-E-S dot com. And there you will find a button that brings you directly to the Patreon page of the podcast where you can choose your level. Entry levels are as low as $1 per episode. And um, on the page and webpage, you can also find a donation button if you prefer rather to do a one-off donation uh, rather than uh, paying a weekly due. Uh, that's, of course, also possible. And when you are a website, why don't you go immediately and give me some feedback? Because I love to have your feedback. I love to have your thoughts on the show, ideas about new guests, basically. Well, some people uh, proposed to me new guests also here, and some of them have appeared, actually. And it's just happening at the moment that somebody suggested a guest to me who will appear either at the very end of this season or very early in the new season. You know, our seasons have 24 hours. At the max, 24 episodes. Let's call it that way. And this season, I'm planning for 24 episodes. So, and um, at the very early stage of the new of the new season nine, which will start sometime late August, we will have one of the guests that were suggested by one of you guys. So please do that, continue to do that. Leave me a feedback on email, either info at thoughtservice.com. Directly from the website, you can go on a message page, on a contact page, which would also be nice. And of course, then you can always send me a message through voicemail from the website, free voicemail. Um, would be nice to hear your voices. Why are we talking about sound? If you have music to propose, if you have your own music, of course, to propose, as many of those artists listening here have done previously, please do let me know and I'll be happy to listen to it and uh, most probably also play it on the show. That would be great. So do let me know. And now, Talking about music, um, it's time for music. And I chose this time to stay a bit within the subject, well, part of the subject. Of course, that's not the whole subject around Nicky Weird. Um, but, uh, well, psychedelic rock, I believe, is quite a good fit when we think about her work as a contributor and leader of that psychedelic conference in Great Britain, which we are going to talk about, which is very important. Um, or, um, manifestation organization within the subject. So um, let's listen to some psychedelic rock. It's just remotely, uh, remotely really uh, related to to, my, to those thoughts. But um, I thought it would be a nice fit. And the first piece is called Groundhog Day. It's performed by a group called uh, One Thousand Knots. And, um, well, um, psychedelic rock, what more can I say? 1,000 knots, Groundhog Day, enjoy. Thank you. 
1000 mods psychedelic rock 1000 mods is the name of the group and groundhog day the title of the song that we just were listening to great stuff so i don't know if you can hear that sometimes in the last episodes already and again today i have some sound problems when i do those recordings of those little intro stuff things that i do don't exactly know what's happening um i'm working at it so bear with me i'm you know i'm sound freak i don't like those little imperfections there and as again bear with me i'll do my best to sort them out not quite sure yet what my filter software is doing here to the sound so um well nikki weird nikki weird is here with us here today and it's great to have her I must say, finally on the show, I'm very, very grateful, as I said before, to Mark, to Mark Morgan, to have reminded me that we should really have her on the show. She is quite an extraordinary personality. And in my honest opinion, she is much too honest herself. She is much too um, shy. Well, I mean, not shy, but she is not talking about herself enough. She is a very important figure in the world of uh, British and general occultism. She has written a couple of excellent books. And of course, Mock, who is um, also the publisher of one of her books that she published together with Julian um, uh, Julian Vane, who uh, uh, with Nikki together published the book on Baphomet. And we're going to talk also extensively about that. Um, she has really done great stuff with that, but she's also been and is always very active but she's also been the head of the british iot the uh, chaos magic um, mother group so to speak so really somebody really highly interesting and it's great to have her on the show finally um i i'm not going to do uh, a lecture on her stuff here today um, i'd rather say we go right away into her uh, interview uh, as usual as always i will come back to you in about uh, well this time it will be about 33 minutes or so into the interview that's when we will have our break and uh, in the break there is more psychedelic rock of course so let's go straight away to the uk and listen to my talk with co-host mock morgan and together we talk with Nikki Weird. Here comes the interview. I'm very happy here today on the Thought Hermes podcast to have another trio. I call that trio. That must be my classical music background. Trio is when I ask somebody who was my uh, my guest in the previous show to be my co-host and to invite somebody together for a new show. And well, it's Morg, Morg Morgan, who is today my co-host. Morg, hello. How are you? It's great to have you. Hello. Yeah. And uh, great to be here. It's great to have you back. And you are, as I called you, the art director of occultism. That was my name for you last time. So, and of course, it's obvious to ask you. Blofeld, Blofeld of uh, the occult world. Well, the respected literary catalyst, somebody else calls you. So don't be, don't be too, too, too yeah. understatement. No, um, but... Um, 
I said, well, we have to do something together. And who would you like to invite? And um, maybe I should just let you do the announcement who we invited together to be our guest here on this show here tonight, Mark. Well, we invited Nikki Weird, of course. Yes. Hey, hey, Nikki. Hello, how are you? Hello, Rudolph. Hello, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. It's Ooh. great to have you. It's great to have you. Mark, uh, what gave you the idea, which is a great idea, actually, I should have had it myself, but uh, um, so I'm not jealous. So let, let us know what, what, why do you think it was, why did you make that choice? Well, because I've known Nikki for a, a while uh, through, through the occult world and we've met her a few, few events. Um, over the years, you know, conferences and stuff, and uh, she's often sp spoken on written, on very interesting topics, and uh, we we <laughs> and run workshops and stuff. So basically, that, mm. um, and of course, I have to kind of declare uh, interest in that. I also published uh, this thing called the Book of Baphomet. Exactly. Uh, which was Nikki co-wrote with uh, Julian, Julian Vane. Right. Um, so I thought all these things in, in put together was a good good enough reason really to kind of investigate a bit further and find. Because it's funny because I've you know we've we've known each other. I've been to your house and mm, in yep, uh, yep. Or one of your one of your many houses. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds very grand. <laughs> okay, we're gonna learn lots here. I know. I know. We just you just kind of. I don't know, but you say you got a house in, or you share a house in uh, in Devon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. uh, and I've been to visit you a couple of times down there, and yeah, I, but mainly at, at conferences and stuff. Uh, as I say, so we, uh, the book Baphomet, which is yeah, a project we did uh, a few years ago, which is a. Uh, Ten years ago now. Is it ten years? It's really? ten years oh, ago. That's yeah, amazing, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah, yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Yeah, we brought I it out in twenty twelve to coincide with the end of the universe. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no God, I did I'd forgotten all that that it's ten years ago. <laughs> Which is this book. I, I remember the bit of this bound in as a joke really, I should say this is a joke. It's oh, yeah. bound in human skin. <laughs> <laughs> Which is say now how how go back with a typical Sort of joke, which is it's somehow it is, isn't it? It's it's not really. It's it's a photograph, right? Or it's a yes, some yeah, sort of micro a... micro slide. Of yeah, we did we did photograph we did photographs of the palms of our hands, myself and Julian, and then used those very faded in a sort of grey scale to make the background of the book cover. Yeah. So that was the joke because there was all these esoteric books coming out in. And skin and whatever <laughs> the more spookier thing the better so we were like we'll go Ultima we'll go with our own actual skin exactly <laughs> that, was, that was the joke it was a bit of an Rather, in joke and I don't know how many that, people have the, ever noticed or the skin of your enemies is a traditional thing I think. <laughs> <laughs> but technically so you being nice people you chose to use your own skin oh. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, it's an image of it, but then there you go. So the way the language works, you're able to say it's bound in human skin. <laughs> so that's kind of good. But, yeah, no, it's rather an uh, excellent book. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, I can't, like with any book, I kind of like it. Where, you know, I always take, I, I know I'm a publisher, but I kind of feel quite... 
perplexed, I suppose, motherly, motherly or whatever yeah. about books. And it's very nice when people come back to you and they, they say, oh, this book, <clears throat> uh, you know, they kind of have a case, they say that because you think, oh, it's a good book, Ben, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm still very, very proud of it indeed. And in fact, a friend of ours was speaking to us yesterday and she'd just found a copy of it that she'd never actually bothered to read before. And she was like, oh, I should have a look at this. And she said she couldn't put it down. She picked it up and she was like, oh, my God, this is really good. So it is a really good point. It's true. You know. is, it still, uh, is it still available? I, I, I think. Oh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, I think it's growing. I think there's a because Baphomet is... Um, Baphomet is big now, isn't it? You know, it's getting, it keeps getting bigger and bigger, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so I have to think, because you can get this really nice statue of Baphomet on Amazon. What's it? What a really nice one. One of the <laughs> good, the surprising place to be able to get it. The Eliphas Levy type or? or, or it's, I think it's like the one, it's a copy of the one that the Satanic Temple did in. Ah, um, uh, in, in, in somewhere in, in the States, right? It was, so it's, oh. it's slightly different, but, you, but it is quite nice, you know, because mm. we were looking for one, because we, we were doing this stuff on Baphomet and everything. Okay. Um, yeah, and I kind of mentioned to Amazon, put on Amazon, yeah, perfectly complemented by the book of Baphomet, oh, and wonderful. I think they put it with it, you know, <laughs> a bundle. Anyway, that's enough. But so that's how we know each other. Uh, mm -hmm. But I maybe I should say a little bit more of an introduction before I kind of hand it. Ask you another question. So the other, so but the conference, your convener of the psychedelic conference. Yeah, that's right. Which is another big scene, uh, as far as I know, which I don't know a lot about, well, apart from, you know, taking the odd spliff or something. But that's put it there. But it's obviously a big thing. It always, always looks amazing stuff. Uh, Co creator of the Book of Baphomet, as I said, uh, and popular occult workshop. Uh, conference, conference. I, I have never been able to get into any of your uh, workshops. <laughs> why they was tend that, to fill up. I read that on your preparation paper, but why was that? Why didn't you get in? Well, the room was full. The room was full. The room was full. The room was full. The room was absolutely yeah, packed. Yeah. You know, yeah. and people really were enjoyed it. Isn't that right? What is the What is the Magical Women Conference in London? The The Occult Conference in London, or which one was that? Um, th this was at the Occult Conference in Glastonbury. Um, in Glastonbury I've done right. workshops, done workshops there. I think twice now. Um, yeah. At both times, they were yeah very full up. And I've also done a talk there as well. So, but, but maybe Nikki, we should start um, mm. yes. with you telling us your how it all came to that. Um, uh, Mark stated where you are today, but where did it all start? How did you get into that? What what was your initial the initial point that you started getting into the world of the occult and of, of the psychedelic stuff, etc. What was it mm. kick it off? Uh, so, as is common, I think, with everybody, it starts when you're very young, doesn't it? This kind of interest where you're just fascinated by strange things and you go, oh, can I really tell someone's character by the style of their handwriting? And uh, can I read the signs in the sky of clouds and how birds fly around? And does that tell me things about stuff? Because you, you read about mythology and these things happening. Um, and then... 
Um, I also grew up knowing that my great-grandmother and my grandmother read cards to tell fortunes. And there was a crystal ball that my great-grandmother had used as well, which I now own. Um, so, so it was in my sort of in, in my um, family history that fortune telling was just what you did, just, just completely acceptable. Right. Um, so that was something that made me go, oh, that's just what you do. May, may um, I ask and, where you grew up? In which part of England? Uh, I grew up in Ipswich. My family are all from Suffolk and Essex and around that area. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, and we've got family trees that go back probably about four centuries on both sides of my family. And we didn't really do much adventuring. So <laughs> we're just basically from Suffolk. <laughs> Although ancestrally, there's sort of people from um, Scandinavia and um, different other parts of the world, but mm. um, mostly, yeah, just from Suffolk. Um, so, so, so that's 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 my that's my family background, um, and yeah, so it was, it was and, and Essex as well. So, so finding out about the the story, the the fortune telling and things was something that I just grew up knowing. And there was the crystal ball that was just in the cabinet on the side. So it was very normal to to think of doing that later on. So when I was about eighteen, I was um, into doing little the little role playing games where you have like Dungeons and Dragons, where you have little characters and figures that you go. So I'd go to the shop to buy another set of figures for the and or some different D twenties or whatever from the shop. Um, and in one of the cabinets in the shop there, there was all these tarot cards and they caught my eye. I was like, oh, those are fortune telling cards. They would be even easier to use than trying to read tea leaves, which I'd already tried to do uh, and such like. So I was like, oh, I'll try those then. So I bought a, a pack of tarot cards and I just picked the ones that I liked the look of. And they happened to be the Thoth deck by Alastair Crowley and Lady Frieda Harris. Okay. So I thought, well, I've got the, the, the cards. I should get the instruction book that goes with this set of cards. So I got the Book of Thoth. And it's, it's quite an in-depth tarot card book. It's not your standard little leaflet that you get with some of the sizes. It is, yeah. Um, and I was quite blown away with it. And it's it's very chaos magic-y because it has all these sort of things where it like links all these different systems together. It's got the Kabbalistic stuff. It's got the I Ching. It's got a little bit of um, the geomancy characters. And I really liked the astrolog- astrological stuff and Egyptian things. And I was very into mythology and storytelling and very into looking at archaeological stuff. I'd already studied Greek and Latin at my school. Um, I was lucky that the school I went to still, still had those available to learn and so I, I was really interested in mythology and why do different societies live the way that they do really fascinated by that and of course the, the religious and philosophical beliefs of people are really key to the foundation of how their societies are formed so this 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 book of thoth dropping into my lap at this particular point when I was 18 19 I'd just moved out from my, where my parents lived and was setting up um, my life for myself at this point um, working as a waitress nothing terribly glamorous but it was I was like exploring the world living in a countercultural kind of um, shared house with four other different people and it was all very very exciting so that was my sort of initial thing to that and probably within um, a year or so but about the same sort of period I encountered psychedelic mushrooms in a um, recreational fashion and was like very impressed with all of that and was like yes this is interesting as well this is about how we sense things how we think and changing how we perceive the world and the reality tunnels that you have and you can break out of them and all the, all of the sort of Robert Anton Wilson's work and all these influences just flooded into my life at this point 
So yeah, it, it was also the right, the right time when you were at that yes. age. Was the right time when all that had happened at the same time. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Can I just say there's a, I, this? You said you dropped in there that, that you thought Crowley was a, basically was a chaos magician. Or oh, there's a, quite a lot of chaos. That, magic. I think I think I think that That's book very is very chaos magic magicy, very magicy. That because it's one of his later works, obviously. But I think right. he was trying to sort of like mix up all these different. Systems. It's not any one of them, is it? No, I think that's that's good. I know the people who were sort of born in the world die in the world kind of Thelemites. They don't. They kind of. They don't like that uh, that idea, right? That Crowley. They think of Crowley is not at all chaotic, you know. And which is crazy if you read his life story, which is kind of really <laughs> chaotic. But the idea that he's the kind of one of the important roots of chaos magic, I think mm -hmm. it's. I think that's absolutely right. Really, you can spot it straight away if you're open-minded. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And he's uh, uh, well, maybe you being a specialist, Nikki. Um, I ask you a terrible question. Um, would you like to give us your personal definition of chaos magic? Oh, gosh. I get asked this quite often, and every time I'm sure I give a different answer. Um, <laughs> well, because it's chaos magic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to give a different answer because it's chaos magic. Uh, so today, my definition of chaos magic is that it's a... It's a, it's a It's a system of magic which uses belief as a tool in itself. So the idea is that by exploring different belief systems and by applying them in different circumstances and applying different beliefs about oneself in different circumstances, one can achieve results that one is conjuring for. If I'm going for an interview, I'm going to believe that I'm very good at interviews for a job interview and that I'm going to be successful at it. Uh, if I'm uh, trying to do um, being in a room and being ignored and being like just sort of in the background, then I'm going to believe something different about myself. I'm going to believe that I'm inconspicuous and that I'm quiet and no one's going to notice me. And having those beliefs obviously changes then how one's, one expresses oneself. Those are quite blunt examples but it goes um, to you know all the different sort of like um, different fractal levels of existing in the world so so believing things about oneself is the easiest thing to do because that's the thing that one has the most immediate control of but one can with practice and with a little bit of sort of like um, a trickster kind of sort of swerving through the world one can believe things about the world which then come to pass one can believe that one will find some money on the path and there it is often it's only a penny i find <laughs> in that sort of circumstance but that that kind of thing where you can can believe that a thing is happening or will happen and then it just happens that's that's not the easiest thing to do though i think in one of terry pratchett's books he gives the example of um if you're trying to conjure a loaf of bread the easiest thing to do is to get some flour and yeast and water and then make the bread um, it's really really complicated and difficult to believe it into existence so it's probably not worth it and there's also a Sufi teaching story which is similar which is about um, a, a person who meditates like for years he sits next to the river and meditates and achieves like great um, spiritual power and one day manages to walk across the river to the other side um, uh, meanwhile another um, spiritual seeker um, has just been using a boat and been doing other things With, with their with with their thing, so you can do you can do quite extraordinary things with the power of your mind, but it's it's whether it's worth it or not, and sometimes it's easier to do a shortcut. 
Absolutely. Well, Mark, to you. Well, yeah, well, we got into chaos magic, so we got a definition of it. We said there was some of it in Crowley, but presumably that's that you didn't know it was called that at the time, or, or did you? How did you first get into the chaos magic thing? What was what was the next step? You you say you got into divination, and there's a family thing of uh, tarot cards and cartomancy and stuff. What how, what was the next step in your magical journey, as they say? Was it straight into chaos magic or, or what? Uh, yes, it pretty much was because in the the same house that I lived in, there was a, a, a um, um, there was a goth that lived in the front room. Um, it was one of those houses which had like lot, everyone had like different different room, and so there was a lot. Of, there was John the hippie and Simon the goth, and Simon the goth had a copy of um, Liebenall and Psychonaut, and that's how I first um, became aware of chaos magic. And it was just one of many different things that came into my life around that sort of age of sort of nineteen twenty ish kind of time um, and then eventually I got to meet some people in the IOT because that was the group that was the Chaos Magic group at the time the IOT um, is you better, you better oh, spell yes. it out the, the IOT is the uh, otherwise known as the Magical Pact of the Illuminates of Thanateros a rather overblown <laughs> and ridiculous name which you have to have a preposterous short. name these days yes. yeah. you it's certainly did at that really point this, this is going back to the 80s so this is a very long time ago <laughs> when that was chosen I think if it was setting itself up um, again, it would probably call itself something else. But we shorten it to the pact is how we refer to ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Um, often often it's, it's the IOT, but we, we call ourselves the pact because it's about agreeing things. It's about mutual respect. It's a mutual fraternal organisation. So the pact is um, what I would usually refer to, to this group as. Um, so I first met them at the first ever UKOS, which uh-huh. was a terrible name, which was the first Chaos Magic Conference in, I believe, I don't think it was held in Conway Hall. I think it was somewhere else. So I remember like a long room, but I'm not sure exactly where it was. Maybe it was Conway Hall. Certainly the second UKOS was in Conway Hall, which was amazing. Um uh, and yes, yeah, so I went along to that and there were various lectures by people. Um, uh, and I also went to um, uh, the Oxford Thelemic Symposium run oh, by yeah. one Mog Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was Ray a couple, the grave, couple, of, couple of years later on. Um, so I went along to various conference things and liked that and um, went to the... Um, yeah, the UK or thing. I, and I liked the people that I met there. I thought they were really interesting and seemed very proactive. Um, and so I started to do the the the, the, the process of joining the, the the pact, which is to do um, daily diary work, where you do meditation and various sort of like beginning magic-y stuff, and keep a diary of it for at least six months. And I kept my diary for eighteen months because it took them ages and ages to arrange to initiate me. So I just kept going. I'm nothing if not pers- persevering. So. <laughs> well, the the, 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 the the diary thing is is quite common to many currents, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so was Pete Carroll then at the head of the IOT back then, or he he had he had left 
sort of about the same time as I started to join. I think the Ice Magic Wars had happened just prior to that. Famous Ice Magic Wars. My country wasn't completely, my country, Austria, was not a completely stranger to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, we, what, the Ice ancient Magic history. Wars, are we not allowed to talk about that? Or? Well, it's ancient history and I Is don't know anything I about like it. ancient history. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know anything more about it than you can find out online, to be quite honest. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, if you want to, if you want that. to listen into my famous interview, almost famous interview with Pete Carroll, because I, he did one of his very rare uh, late interviews oh, with me. Good, we were talking good. a little bit about that, so right. you can listen back yeah. into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. Why don't you try it again? Story. He's got. He's up for doing new ones. Yeah, I believe he uh-huh. would be absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So and but you became at some point then the head of IoT, didn't didn't you? Uh, yes, I did. It took me, uh, it was like some years later, but well, I joined the IoT at a point where it was very much a sort of a boys club and it was all very sort yeah. of warrior, black robes, wah, very yeah. sort of secretive. Um, and I, I didn't feel particularly inspired by the idea of standing in a circle and shouting. You know, it's fine for people that want to do that kind of thing, but it's like, it's not really, doesn't really excite me terribly much. Um, so I started to bring rituals. And one of the joys of being in a chaos magic group is that you get to bring what you want to to the group and get them to join in with your stuff. So I would bring um, rituals to the group that involved people walking in a labyrinthine sort of serpent pattern and pretending to um, shoot arrows and do like um, alchemical processes where they would um, do be on a path working and dive into a cauldron of mead and come out at the other side of it. And much more what I would term interesting things than just shouting in a circle, trying to conjure a spirit. Um, and people seem to enjoy this and other people seem to be inspired by it and do similar kind of, you know, different different shapes rather than just a, a circle um, and do more. There, there was a, a very sort of discordian flavour started to emerge as well, which was more sort of about having fun at the same time as doing magic as well as doing it seriously. Um, mm-hmm. so, is, there, so, is there a difference between this? The discordian thing is something before... Uh, chaos magic is that right with the Robert Anton Wilson but they're they're the same thing or Uh, so discordianism is about um, more fun version of chaos magic you say yeah it's 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 <laughs> not, not quite how I would describe it. Discordianism is much more about poking fun at oneself and the world around one, I think yeah. is the way that I would refer to it as. Um, so it's much more about the silliness of the world and how ludicrous it is that we hold all these strange beliefs. Um, so so this, this idea of sort of playing with stuff and doing more sort of, in, in, uh, yeah, just, just different kinds of rituals like that came on. At the same time, I was also studying runes and doing quite serious work with those. You, it's, it's quite hard to laugh about the runes. You can do a bit when you're doing the rune starter, which are quite, quite silly sometimes. But it did, rune, rune work is much more of a serious kind of um, application. And also I was studying and being very interested in various Hindu deities as well. My thinking being that if I wanted to learn about how living gods um, affect a society, it would be good to get to know some gods that were actually current in the world. So rather than just looking at historical pantheons, Greek deities and such like, it would be sensible to do to, to learn about gods that people today 
believe in. So I started with Ganesh and then worked on to um, sort of various other, um, uh, so Lakshmi, Sarasvati, various other de- Hindu deities and and spent a lot of time doing devotional practices and things like this, which are much less silly and more sort of um, what people would think of when they think of doing religious devotional ritual type work. Um, and I still carry that on to, to today, although not quite on such a, a frequent basis. But uh, so Chaos Magic has this reputation as being very sort of flighty and going from one thing to another. But a lot of us tend to pick a thing that we're very interested in and we'll work with that for maybe 10, 20 years mm. and be quite serious practitioners in different areas. So, I think that's the case with the runes. And that, mm. that strikes, strikes me that an awful lot of chaos magicians that you meet uh, have been interested in or, or quite deep into the into studying the runes and the northern north mm-hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. Even though initially you kind of think it'd have this reputation of not being fixed on anything you know that that would be almost like a a fault to get to get into something too deeply and too spiritually because chaos magic used to have a reputation as being very anti-spiritual in in Mm. ways that sort of prick the bubble of spirituality but yeah but maybe they just you can't avoid that to some extent yes Uh, yeah it's Yes, yeah. What, what, what's happened is that the so there's the the idea of the different sort of um, ways that you can do magic. So evocation, invocation, um, conjuration, and so forth, and, um, and divination and illumination is the fifth one, which is basically like um, the the sort of spirituality, chaos, mysticism kind of thing. And that's certainly taken off quite a lot in recent years. Um, I'm about to publish a book next week, in fact, called Chaos Monk by Steve D, which is about the practice of chaos monasticism. Yeah, chaos (laughs) monasticism has always been a practice that's been within the pact. Uh, And so so, uh, Steve is... Heresy, isn't it? A chaos monk. <laughs> chaos monk. That's, know, that's an interesting name. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Iconoclastic. <laughs> the, the uh, so, order of chaos so, monks. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so, yeah. So the. The, the, the idea of going on pilgrimage and the, the, the chaos monasticism thing is where you devote a certain period of your life, which is usually a week or two, to doing sort of quite. Um, uh, quite quite um, serious um, applications to practices on either like every few hours or every, even on every hour. You can look this up online if you're interested in the standard chaos monastic practice. Um, there's a sort of a, a formula that Pete Carroll wrote down about it ages ago and people really? carry a staff around and do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, so. But what happened then that you became the head actually? Yeah. Um, wow. No one else would do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the easy one. <laughs> what happens is as you go go as as you become in any group that is run by a committee, we have like meetings and people organise the meetings and we have like a couple of meetings a year which are um, like the whole country gets together, which is you know, a few dozen people. It's not huge. Um, and so I was very proactive in organizing some of these um, things. And it's the, 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 the leader of the, 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 the pact 
is the person that gets lumbered with all of the the, the, the sort of emails and all of the difficult organising stuff. That's what you end up doing. So it's the sure. person that does all the work for everybody else. So it's not necessarily a job that anyone wants to have because one of the things about the IoT uh, is that you cannot order anyone to do anything. You can only request and ask would you do this and everyone at any point can go no and that's seen as very healthy and a very good environment to have because you can't give permission unless you can also say no can you so it's always been very consent based um, far ahead of its time I think because that was always very much built into its structure and how it works um, so yes yeah, so I, I just became the leader just by hanging around long enough that eventually I was the one that was was um, given given that job for a few years which I, I thoroughly I enjoyed at the time. Two things very interesting here. Uh, mm. Maybe that's a bit provocative for what I'm saying, but I do it on purpose, of course. A, yes. uh, you said um, you joined a boys club, so to speak, and suddenly mm -hmm. you as a woman became its head, its leader. And um, the other thing that you brought in all kinds of interesting thing, you named them interesting yourself. And Mog just mm -hmm. said, that's also almost a contradiction because um, it's it's not, well, I don't you talk about dogmatic, but it's not structured, not the structure that Chaos Magic usually is looking for. But because you brought that in, you became kind of the person to talk to, right? So what happened there? Those two contradictions, if they are, uh, I don't know, uh, that, that it happened. What, what happened for you there? Um, so I wasn't the first woman to be the, the head of the British Isles section of the IOT. There was uh, someone else before me that did that job um, and did it very well. Um, and there always were an amount of women in the, in the group. Um, But certainly these days, I think it's, it might even be that there's slightly more women in the group than there are men in, in the British Isles section. And that does bring a different sort of flavour to, to what goes on um, in any group. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, not I'm not sure about that because the, the fact that I was bringing these quite sort of um, non-standard non formula like if you look at early editions of chaos international the magazine which had lots of lots of stuff published of the different rituals that were there most of them involve people standing in a circle pointing in the, to, to someone who stands in the middle and evoking someone to either be eris or baphomet or whatever it might be and they do it by standing there pointing and shouting eris which is like that's that's not very erisian because eris is the goddess of like fun and laughter and strange things and like discordant stuff and mm -hmm. unpredictability so standing in a circle and doing this is like the last thing you want to do if you want to do an Arisian thing you've got to do a much more complicated and strange thing to make Eris appear yeah. so that was the way of thinking and other people were very sort of um, ready for this and certainly as soon as I started to do things and other people had started to also do this I wasn't the first obviously to do this um, but I think I just sort of stepped it up a gear um, and other people joined in with it wholeheartedly and they started to bring really exciting things with flowers and um, all sorts of different Just ways of doing stuff so Yes, more, yes, more yes. emotional kind of stream. yes and not just using not just using raw anger and and shouting type of stuff well it was just um, I kind of went to a ritual probably at the UKOS where they did this thing the, the mass of chaos Mm -hmm. And that's got 
I, it's not shouty, is it? Nino did a shouty thing, I think, where he was as he was trying to start a riot, I think. But uh, <laughs> but the, ma- the I think it's this hyper hyperventilation thing. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. whether you call it that, you know, this yeah, kind yeah. of strange uh, way of producing gnosis. I thought that was very distinctive, and then like reminded me what you said the the banish with laughter type thing. Yes, which I yes. thought was also quite it's quite good, really. You know, <laughs> it's quite quite a good. You, you feel like doing that anyway, but it certainly breaks attention. So yeah, your input was more of the, on the emotional side. Okay, a little musical break here. And we return, as I suggested, to Psychedelic Rock once again. Um, And then we come back to this, I believe, really highly interesting interview. We have more to go, uh, about 40 minutes more of this interview to go. So stay tuned and learn more about how the IoT works, its great system, and etc., etc. Really fascinating. So... Um, the second piece uh, on psychedelic rock that we hear now is called Observatory. Observatory, which is being performed by a group called Sunface. Sunface with Observatory is next here. And then after that, we'll return directly on the interview with my co-host, Mork Morgan, and our common host, Nikki Weird and after the interview at the end of the interview there will be another title by a group called asteroid and asteroid plays karma karma is the title of their song um so three times psychedelic rock wow um really impressive so now let's go straight away listen to observatory by sunface back to the interview after that and after the interview karma by Asteroid. Enjoy.
I was kind of also interested in his. I always thought there was a very strict grade system within the IOT. Was 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 that not the case then? Was that just because I've not I've never been in the IOT. I've been with some of the events. No, it is a very strict grade system. There yes. is a is yeah. or a, there is one. There is yeah yeah, and and that still continued. You know, was yes. that the ten grades or? Uh, no, there's um, so there's novice, which is when you're applying to join and doing the work that we already talked about and then once you've joined there's the four different degrees so fourth third second and the top one is first um, um and then and then um, when you when you've got to the point where you, where you don't want to carry on being either a second or a first degree then you can sidestep and become an elder which is what i am now and, yeah. and does do they have names to those degrees or is it just yes, mostly to the, the fourth degree is neophyte so someone who's new to the thing and they're sort of still and then third degree is initiate most people are initiates and they stay as initiates because they are full members of the pack they can do all the things that anyone else can do that's how it is second degrees are the people that organize things and organize the structure of stuff um, although initiates sometimes do that as well so but the second degrees are the ones that are more responsible for keeping things going which is the first like degrees um, so, so things like organising the no, no but um, I mean the second the, degree, the, the name of the second degree is, is oh what? sorry, the secondary adept adept yeah, mm. adept, and then the first degrees are the magus and the magi meet internationally. So there's very few of those in the world, um, um, and I did get to be a magi for I think about some years. I can't remember exactly how many. Is that not is a fascinating thing? Then, when you're a magi, you're not always a magi. Uh, no, because there's, there's, there comes a time in one's life where you just go, oh, I've done this now. It's time for someone else to have their turn at it. Because right. you tend to have just one per section. The, 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 the world is split up into different geographical regions, which sometimes are a country or might be an area. So there's um, the British Isles is one section, um, Austria is another section, and South America is a section. So it's not necessarily a, a done on geopolitical lines. It's sometimes just on geography. Um, and each of those areas has at least has maybe one or maybe two magi um, who, who meet together to make sure that they're sort of in touch with each other and standards are maintained throughout the order. Mm. So, yeah. so in the end, you kind of did you did you leave the organisation or you're you're still in the pact? Oh, yeah, I'm still very much in the pact, definitely, yeah. definitely. Right. Um, so but I've 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 now taken what is called elder, right, which is the degree, which is what you do next. Uh, which means that um, you're sort of recognised as someone who's played a, a key part in the organisation, um, but you've stepped down from active involvement of organising things. So you just get to sort of hang around and have, have the sort of enjoyment of being there, the same as the initiates do, but you probably do more washing up because that's what you sort of end up gravitating <laughs> towards and making sure things are tidier and telling people to hang their robes up, that kind of stuff. Well, uh, yeah, I was about to ask, uh, this not related in any way to talking about the uh, the, uh, the role of women within uh, within magic, really. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on that, you know, because you say that you brought the feminine current into into chaos magic in, in some ways, or a, 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 a woman's influence in, in there. Well, how do you see it now, you know, the role of women within magic and in general do you have thoughts on 
Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you sort of put, put people on the spot like that as if they represent the entire thing of like womankind just in one person, which is um, always a bit of a tricky situation. Um, if I had to answer it, I'd say that generally, I think women bring a more pragmatic approach to magic. So they're more likely to not need it to be quite so strange as some men do um some men are quite happy for it to be quite ordinary as well but women are much Florence more Florence Farr would, was a good be, example for that wasn't she <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and and so so the 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 overlap the superposition not overlap the superposition of ordinary life and magical life i think is easier for women to do maybe because they just have to so um you sort of multitask by doing magic at the same time as you're hanging out the washing or whatever the thing might be that you're you're doing. But I think that men do that as well. It's I don't think it's exclusively a women thing. It's just because that's the gender roles that we find ourselves doing at this point in history. And so that's what women bring to it. So I don't know if that's necessarily a women thing, but it might just be the, the roles that we have been playing recently and in the 20th century in particular. Well, say it again. You mean that women bring... You, uh, you surprised me there. You say they bring a more down-to-earth attitude to, to, to magic, whereas the kind of men are more fantasy-based or something? If, not so much fantasy-based, but more theoretical-based, I mm. would say, because men, certainly in the 20th century in Europe, which is really all I can really speak about that's that's my experience of the world I don't know about other cultures and places in the same kind of way but but that that western esoteric current the same as almost everything in western culture in the 20th and 20th century men were the people that wrote books because of various social and economic reasons so that applies to magic the same as it would do to any kind of um, literary or intellectual pursuit um, so that's 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 why I was so saying that the kind transmission, of thing. The transmission of the tradition somehow is bound to men because it's them who mm. write the books and write maybe the rituals or whatever, and and that's why they monopolize kind of the transmission, right? Yes, and they show up more as well because if you've got a book from somebody, then people for years and years afterwards can refer to the book. Whereas if it's a, a woman that's done a thing, they might be just telling people directly with their voice because mm -hmm. that's often how women prefer to communicate Right, is just um, on a peer-to-peer -peer level. Mm -hmm. um, and also they don't have the time historically and even now it's it's much harder to get women to write things as the editor of a journal the times I have asked people that are women to write about their research to write about their um, their, their different sort of st their story and to tell, tell me things and it's really really difficult to get women to write things and I'm still not entirely sure why I think it might just be no, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Oh, it's really? very, very difficult to get them to talk about things in public. Yes. Very hard to get them to write about stuff. Yes. Well, um, I'm trying to have a really, if not equal, that's not possible, but a high percentage of female guests here in my show. And what you just uh -huh. said, it's not always easy because mm. it's sometimes difficult to convince them to come in front of the microphone and speak an hour, 70 minutes about that in, in front of several thousand people. And that's, that's absolutely 
an experience that I made too. So I'm, I mean, I find it interesting that you confirm that somehow. And you said also something that surprised me because for somebody who, like you, is very involved in life uh, of magic, um, you made a kind of the separation of ordinary life and magical life just now when you explained the differences. Um, I would have expected that for you or people like you, that is just one and the same. Why do you make that distinction? Um, that's why I was talking about them being in a superposition to each other. So um, you can, if you're talking about things with the um, language, we always use spatial terms. So usually if you're talking about one thing and then another thing in the same place, you would think about them overlapping with each other, one on top of the other. But um, superposition is where the two things are in the same place. They sort of interweave. The best example of this is when you're looking at water and you have ripples that come from one object and from another object. Mm -hmm. And the ripples cross each other, but they, they occupy the same thing at the same time. And that is how I see the ordinary world and the magical world. Okay. They, they are in superposition with each other. So they occupy the same space time as well as being slightly different yeah distinguished it's, it's yeah. paradoxical when you try and yeah, talk yeah, about thank it with you language. For, for making that clear because because i think that's very interesting yeah mm, yeah yeah i think that um, the more you do magic the more you find it everywhere Yeah, exactly. That's what I would have yeah. thought. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm also rather involved in that and I get more and more that impression that those things are everywhere, mm -hmm. so to speak. Right, right. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, and, and one more thing, um, where, where does the IoT, uh, as you're still active in it, um, where does the IoT stand today? Is it really still very active? At least over here, we don't hear much about it anymore. Um, but maybe that is just a wrong impression. What, where do you stand with, as a as a group? As an I don't want to call it order. <laughs> as a group, where do you, <laughs> where do you stand today? Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? Because chaos magic as a belief system is now known about by thousands and thousands of people. Even the, the Facebook group, the infamous Facebook group, CMG, which I've belonged to, been a proud member of for many years now, um, which has its moments, um, has got something like 20, 30,000 people belonging to a Facebook it's group, huge. which is it's just huge. unbelievable. Yeah, 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 yeah. And a lot of people in that group have never heard of the Pact or the Illuminates of Thanateros. They wouldn't know what those phrases mean at all. Um, and people can meet up online much really easily they can form groups locally or whatever it's really simple to do that it's not like back in the 1980s where you had to go to your local occult shop um, your head shop where they sell incense and then look at the notice board and hope that you would find a piece of paper there from somebody which was the only way that you could previously make contact with anyone like this um, so it's not like that now so the IOT still exists and it's still actually quite consistent in the number of people that belong to it as there were 20 years ago but proportionally it's really really tiny compared to the vast number of people that 
have heard about chaos magic and do it. And it's not the same people that belong to it as 20 years ago. Most people arrive and they stay for a few years and then they progress on to something else okay. because they understand what it is that they need to do about it. But there's been um, recently there's been a, a nice little influx. I can only really talk about the section that I'm in. There's been a nice influx of people coming in, partly, I think, because of the COVID stuff, although it started to happen a bit before that. So something happened that's made people be a bit more interested in it again. Um, possibly our fantastic um, IoT blog, the British Isles IoT blog has um, got some really interesting pieces of writing from various authors. I'd recommend people have a look at that. Um, I think it's the book of Baphomet that's doing it. <laughs> I think that might be part of it. That's yeah, definitely yeah. part of it. <laughs> well, the um, rise so, of Baphomet, so, one way or another, is kind so, of... Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that the chaos magic has certainly publicly aligned itself with a lot of ecological thinking in the, mm -hmm. the past 10, 10, 15 years, um, because a lot of us that are involved in it, I'm a, a um, I'm an ecologist. My degree is in ecology. And a lot of the people that are involved in it um, were very forward thinking about the, the need to conjure for a land fit for the bees to live in and various other types of um, big magical projects that we had that were very much to do with green energy and things like this conjuring for those kind of things to appear in the world in the future and i think that 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 flavor of wanting to produce a better world has attracted certain types of people that are quite excited about working in that kind of a, a group magical project um is so, that yes, what you would call magical activism? Is that what you would call magical activism? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. And um, having said that, um, do you think that COVID has changed that? You mentioned it a little bit, but do you think that changed mm -hmm. it deeply? Do people take more initiations? Online, I'm, I'm hesitating using those words because it's maybe a different word we should find for what happens there. But um, is it is it is the behavior, the group behavior changed after COVID because of COVID? Oh, that's interesting. So the IoT is, as you know, a very secret thing. So I can't really talk about the particulars of different stuff. Sure. Um, however, um, I, I don't think it would be um, uh, breaking any confidences to say that um, during the pandemic, we haven't been able to meet in person. So like everybody else, we've been using Zoom. Um, And it's been, we, we've had this before because there are um, people that are spread very widely across the world. So some areas don't have an area, a, a group of IoT people that are active. So if you're somewhere like that, then you would belong to one of the, um, the virtual temples. So which is, we've been meeting remotely like that for... Oh, I can't remember when we started to do these, but um, probably as soon as video conferencing started to become available. I can remember using Uvu, which was a platform oh, yeah. from a very long time ago. Yeah. And there was a, an online temple at that point. So we've been using this for years anyway. But when the pandemic happened, it we really took, took off because lots of people had to only meet that way. Um, but we already had some techniques on how to use that format and to do, do group meetings successfully and interact with each other. So um, it, it was quite an easy shift for us to make. Um, 
but we, we very much want to return to meeting in person because there's nothing that quite replaces that that mm -hmm. loveliness of being in the same room as other people um, and being able to communicate fully. Yeah. Bit of a hassle though sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, you have to travel, don't you? It's very easy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And with with the price of fuel these days, as we were and discussing the earlier, of, you know, going out. Into yeah. The, it, I think there's all. I think that the the, the, the place for online online magic in various forms is here to stay. So. I, I would think so. I see that clearly in, in things like the Golden Dawn, for example. They they have a clear shift mm -hmm. towards that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Monkey, mm -hmm. I interrupted you. Well, 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 yeah, I mean, I'm interested in that because, as I say, like everybody else, we've, we've been kind of, well, uh, uh, mainly through the, the local mood we, we, we kind of meet. But I wonder if when you say you, your group meets, IOT meets for magic, do you actually have magical rituals in Zoom itself? Do oh, you, yes. It's not just a toy. So, so how, how do you go about doing that? Is there kind of some, uh, so, some special so, tip? Uh, I, uh, one, of, one of the things that um, we've found works really well is you, prepar you prepare beforehand. So if you're going to do a ritual where everyone needs a glass of water, you'll have a glass of water ready <laughs> or whatever the thing might be. And then you all do the same thing or do whatever it is that's the appropriate thing to do. And you can see other people on there and you'd like make the room nice with sort of like nice lighting and decorate it. So you feel like you're in a, uh, you've made your own little temple space that you're in. And then set that up, and then you've got these portals where you can see the other people that are in their little magical spaces as well. And you maybe light the same, we light the same incense as each other, and just to sort of get that connection with each other that's on a physical level. But that takes a little bit of preparation in advance. Mm. Um, but those sorts of things really pay off because then you know that you've got to, so you're actually doing physical, real things, but just looking at each other using the online stuff. Do you do an, uh, an opening right? Uh, you know, people, people used to call kind of creating a space or casting a circle. Is is that something you still do in Zoom? Oh, did yes, you ever do, definitely. You, you, still, definitely. you still do yes, an opening yes, and a yes, closing yes. and stuff? Yes, we still do the, the standard um, pillar of chaos banishing, which you can find examples of, um, which is the vowel sounds and drawing chaos spheres in different directions. So. Right. And what you do, trans work and stuff like that. That's amazing. I mean, you know, as I say, I've done, I've been doing a little bit of that with maybe with one other person, but I've never, maybe not so much in a in a in a group of people. But yeah. mm -hmm. I think the fact that a lot of us know each other quite well helps a lot as well. I don't think that you could just put people online and do this, mm. but because most of us know each other and have met in the past, and some of us have known each other for many years, right. you have that community feel already so people that are new to it are sort of coming into a group that already has a strong bond of friendship and you know good knowledge of each other mm. i definitely I believe that, that uh, this these two years have in the beginning we were all shocked and didn't know how to handle it and then mm. we have developed we have learned from it and found ways of doing it i have also with the group i cannot mention here but for two years <laughs> organized organized um, uh, um, such meetings as you just said Nikki and uh, uh, yes preparation individual preparation and telling the members how they should pre prepare because most of them uh -huh. were not at all 
first they were not keen in the, in the medium and they were uh -huh. not used to the medium. Uh, so you had to tell them, look, it's like that. Just sit down, relax and do this to prepare. And that helped a lot. I think the preparation at some point, maybe it's even more preparation that they sometimes do before they go to a temple. Yes, yes, I agree. And um, certainly during the first part of the pandemic, when everything was quite scary and no one knew quite what was going on and we were very isolated from each other, the regular meetings of different packed groups really helped people because they found a social thing that they were coming to every two every every month and they were um, it was a regular thing that they knew that they were going to see a group of their friends and it was really really good for their mental health to be able to do that and know yeah. that it was going to happen yeah absolutely i agree i agree mark to you yeah well we should kind of move on a little bit um I know I keep coming back to the book of Buffett. Just quickly, because I know there's a whole other area of you that we haven't really touched upon yet. But what, I, do, do you think you, you've said anything? You, how did you get into the Baphomet thing then? Was that definitely just from the Chaos Magic group and the writing of a whole book on it? You know, you talked about how, you know, this wasn't the thing that women did a lot of at the time, but you actually have written a book or co-written a book on on quite a kind of taboo subject in, in, in lots of ways, quite a remarkable subject. Was I know you co-wrote it with Julian, who's kind of got his own kind of headspace and his own universe as well, and it's quite well known. Mm -hmm. But how did, how did you get together on that, you know, with, with Julian and, uh, and stuff? How, how, what was the genesis of it? Is there a story there? Um, so we met... Um, at, at packed meetings, yeah. Um, and Baphomet is the the sort of the figurehead deity of the pact, and represents all. The, it's the the represent. It's the it's a glyph of all life on Earth at this moment. So everything that's alive now, if you think of it collectively, which is quite hard to do, that's what Baphomet represents. So when we are talking about Baphomet or worshipping Baphomet or praying to Baphomet, we're addressing essentially nature, um, but including mankind as well. Because it's easier for a person to relate to something that looks a bit like a person than just a blob or a tree or something which you can also relate to but it's easier to relate to something that looks a bit more like a human so that's that's why Baphomet is the the shape that that they are um and yes it's a, so it's a deity that's very much central to the pact stuff and as mine and Julian, Julian's relationship developed um and we, we were friends for a while and um then became um Uh, lovers are much more involved in partners now um, and as, as that happened we, we wanted to write down stuff to do with Baphomet and our um, joint exploration of this deity and the things that we'd learnt and the, the rituals that we did with them um, and as I referred to earlier this sort of this ecological green activism deep ecology strand was quite quite important for both of us so the Baphomet character Um, was a good focus for all of that stuff. Well, it makes sense now because, let's say, the beginning of the book is this. It almost begins at the, with the beginning of the creation of the planet. <laughs> mm. Like this is a great cosmological kind of uh, fugue, really, at the beginning of the book, in which you kind of 
it becomes this is rather surprised me I must say when I was looking at it that that you make Baphomet this whole everything really the whole universe the whole of nature I suppose that's what you're saying that's I think that is quite a remarkable aspect of the book even though and then it tells all the usual history as well but um yeah okay well I guess we should go on to well if you're willing to talk about the other side of yourself was uh, as I mentioned at the beginning was you're the conv you're the convener is that right the convener of the psychedelic conference yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm um, one of the trustees, one of the directors of a charity called Breaking Convention, yeah. and Breaking Convention hosts Europe's um, Europe's largest psychedelic research conference. Um, it started in 2011, right. and every two years a conference is held, lasting for three days. Um, and the last one that we had in 2019, the last big conference that we held, had over 1,500 people at. Wow. So it's quite big for an academic conference. So, yeah. Um, and I, I, it's, it's a similar sort of story there. So I went along to the first one just out of curiosity and then became involved in volunteering for it. And then gradually they went, well, you seem to be quite interested in this and quite good at doing spreadsheets. Would you like to be one of the directors? <laughs> and uh, currently I'm actually the chair of the, the um, executive committee. So... This, this seems to be my fate in life to, to rise to the top in different ways but in, to rise to the top in organizations that make the people at the top do all of the work so <laughs> well you, I know I, it's a blessing a and a curse if i ever want to know anything about this subject matter which you, as you know i was asking you a few months back about this this sort of typical theory the theory of jesus and the mushroom do you remember mm. that, that yes because someone had written this whole book you know and a publisher about was jesus a mushroom was jesus a magic mushroom and i saw of it i didn't really know anything about it i vaguely heard of that stuff that theory so i thought who do i ask about it <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously know the subject really well um it's you know, and you know, you point pointed me at, you did point me at someone else as well, which is the Thomas Hatsis mm -hmm. sort of video, which yes, is yes. a fantastic uh, find, I think. So it's a it's a great organisation. Yeah. I mean, what 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 do they are they actually sort of doing research then? Sponsored by that group, you know, it's not just the people at the group getting all kind of <laughs> talking about their trips and stuff. They're actually sponsoring real research. Uh, so Breaking Convention just holds this conference and then the scientists and other people come to the conference and present their research. Mm. So we, Breaking Convention, don't do any research, mm. but we hold this conference that the researchers come to. Um, and a lot of the people are... Um, doctors, professors, and they might be to do with the direct sort of research into the neurological effects of um, various psychedelic substances, or they might be historians that look at the cultural aspects of this, or anthropologists, um, or they might be um, chaplains that are involved in different therapeutic um, uh, uses of, of the the, the medicines um, there's a huge variety of, of things so it's a very transdisciplinary conference and it ranges from really um, 
really factual um, biochemis- biochemical biochemistry kind of stuff um, and then also touches on far more um, esoteric kind of matters as well so it really ties back into those things I was talking about that I was very interested in when I was growing up so this sort of like how do we perceive things what changes our awareness of things and what difference does that make about how we then construct our belief systems and how do those belief systems underpin the way that we construct our societies and all of these different things and all of these things are inter- interwoven with each other um, and that's something that really fascinates me about psychedelics is that not only the substances themselves but the way that they make us look at so what difference do these things make and then because you're looking at the difference they make it reveals what's there in the first place do you think they're connect- you do think they're connected then the magic and the and the psychedelic stuff. I mean, maybe that's what magic is really makes magic uh, work in a way. Would you say that's um, true? I, I think that's that's a, a. I don't think I could agree with that because that's that sort of flattens it down too much. For myself, the the two states can be related, but they're not equivalent to each other. Um, I think that's more just my approach to the world. I think anything that I was interested in would then reveal all these different things I was talking about. But for me, in my life, these are the two things that I've focused on and put lots of effort and energy and attention onto. And of course, when you put attention onto something, it gives it power in your own life. So... These, these are the things that, that for me work very well so I'm, I'm currently very or um, very interested in the, the whole ceremonial use of psychedelics which is becoming um, really uh, the sort of the uh, cutting edge of a lot of therapeutic practices now in the medical world they're looking at the way that indigenous cultures and other groups use psychedelics ceremonially and how this makes people generally happier and better off. I have a question there which mm. might sound superficial now related yes. to what you just said, but it, it's always with me that question because probably mm. because mm. I was one of those, given my generation and I'm now 61, um, mm. uh, that Carlos Castaneda was, of course, one of those <laughs> books that I read when I was a young student, which brought me and I'm as opposed to what people, other people say, it brought me, and I'm very happy about that because it brought me to that world somehow, right? Mm. Uh, um, Even if it is maybe, I don't know if it's a fake or not, Uh, it had its effect on me, right? (laughs) But uh, how do you see things like that, like Castaneda's books, etc.? Is that something that you would now reject with your knowledge today, or uh, how do you see that today? Oh, that's a very good question because I'm um, I'm only slightly younger than you. I'm 53, mm. uh, so I read Carlos Castaneda, and certainly I read the first probably two or three books, and then it goes a bit strange. Like like the, all the of first, the first, somehow yes, 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 this is true. <laughs> but I really enjoyed them, and I was really like properly like oh, properly into it. Exactly. Um, it was one of those many influences that sort of like mm. appeared in my life at that time that I was talking about earlier when I was in my sort of like late teenage years, and when I was um, much younger, I'd read the work of Eric von Daniken. Oh yeah, um, yeah. about the the. the the, the appearance of gods to the Aztecs and how all these carvings were all like aliens and spaceships and all this amazing stuff. Um, and so I was, I was, 
I think I was very influenced by that thing and um, thinking, is the Loch Ness Monster real? And all of that sort of stuff. When as you're sort of a small child, all these things, these folk mythologies seem uh, very Alistair possible. there, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's all very possible, isn't it? And that, that, yeah. that chink into this is the normal world. And then this sort of this, this crack that appears when you hear of these very strange ideas and you're like oh there's something else and that looking yeah. outside one's normal world is exactly. vital I exactly. think to someone being able to grow as a yeah. human being yeah. and having these slightly preposterous um, strange ideas from Carlos Castaneda or Eric Wondanikin or whoever it might be or Alistair Crowley with his tarot cards or whatever it might have like little mm-hmm. Pete Carroll these, these are things, and um, Robert Anton Wilson and lots of other people that we could mention, these are things that are important to um, yeah, opening, opening cracks in our world that we can then use to explore and build our world into a bigger and more interesting shape. So... So I, again, like yourself, um, I kind of there's still a part of me that wants to believe that Carlos Castaneda's stuff is based on meeting. Yeah. The, the, Otherwise, the, it takes away part the, of your use if it's shaman. not. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the same way that a part of me still really wants to believe in Father Christmas, yeah. and I, I can rationalise that as by going, so Father Christmas is the spirit of giving gifts to people at Christmas. But there is a bit of me that really wants there to be a real Father Christmas that comes and does things, does things. Right. and sometimes. Um, if you allow a sort of a mechanism to exist in the world by which these deities or these spirits can operate, maybe they do. So at Christmas, I like to go to charity shops and I might find something that's really, really nice for hardly any money. And that's my present from Father Christmas that year. Right, great, great. So, but you have to, you have to like just squeeze that bit of rationality yeah. Yeah. so that it's not, so that it can be possible. Yeah. So, so you're, that's, you're that's, say, that's my personal take. You're on say, that. You, you don't really rate the Casanova thing anymore. Then, I mean, where did it come from? Then was it all completely made up? The Carlos Casanova. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's still mysterious. Some people say that they know and that he made it all up, but right. some, some of it is well, really it, quite convincing. It so. had the effect you just mentioned to open that crack on many people. Mm. I'm one of them. Oh, yeah. So I think whatever made it uh, appear, it was important to many people. So let it be what it was, right? right. Mm. Don't have to destroy all mystery around it. <laughs> um, oh. Uh, <laughs> Mark, we are coming towards the end of all right, yeah, but okay. you have two you have two important questions at the bottom of your, of all your right, list. Yeah, well, Maybe you should you, go for them, shouldn't you? We should do so the two questions you said well, what's the future of magic what do you think the future of magic is and what's the future of Nicky Weird in that so start with what's the future of magic what's happening the big trends that you see around you and what's going to happen in the future are we all going to turn off or what um I think that magical thinking is really, really important because the world is changing so rapidly that the ability to shift from one belief to another, which is a lot of what the chaos magic training is about, is about being able to center yourself and then step into a belief, then center yourself again and then step into a different belief and not be too upset about the changing paradigms and the fact that beliefs are changing and oh, what we believed last week, actually today it's like this. Um, I think being able to accept other people's 
beliefs, whether they're religious, spiritual or cultural, as being important and valuable, even if they are not true in any kind of, of sense. But everything is true in, in a kind of a way. So I think as people move around the world because of um, climate catastrophes and we have to take refugees from different places and people will mix with each other, the ability to have magical thinking and to switch belief systems is going to be absolutely essential. Um, I think the future of magic very much goes with this online stuff that we've been talking about but I think that the online stuff will be supported um, and and will also allow to flourish the physical meetings of people because obviously once you've met up online you want to meet up in person I've seen this happen with lots of different groups on Facebook where people are like oh I'm in such and such an area I'm in Texas anyone else there and people go oh yes I am and then they meet up and they start to have really amazing groups that they've they form that way so um, and being able to learn directly from people in other cultures and different parts of the world, that's something that this online connectivity will really facilitate, I think, going forwards. Or I hope that it would really have, to have that effect rather than splitting things up. Um, as I look at people that are younger than myself, so my children are in their 20s, and I look at them and their, their peer group, and I see that they're much more accepting of different people, they're much less judgmental, and I, I really would hope that the future of magic goes in a similar direction, where people become more um, happy to learn from each other. That's, that's what I would hope for the future of magic. What about the um, future of Nicky Weird, then? Uh, so the future of Nicky Weird, I'm, I'm, I'm moving into a phase of my, my life where I'm doing far more public facing stuff. So this podcast is one, one of the examples of that. But I'm also doing various talks and teaching stuff, both in person, um, online. I'm doing talking things. I'm about to start doing much more writing. Um, I'm, I've just opened a Substack account and I'm going to be putting things onto that, um, which is linked, linked to the Psychedelic Press, which I'm the editor of the journal of, which I mentioned briefly earlier. Uh, so look out for my stuff there. Um, and I'm about to launch my website, nickyweird.com, which will have links to my work past, present and future. Um, and I'm going to use that as a jumping off point for doing various projects. I might even be looking at doing some research projects into certain aspects of esotericism because uh, the thinking goes that as, as a participant observer, I've got a very good window into this world. So I'm, I'm thinking that that might be something that I would be interested in doing in the next couple of years or so is to look at how how is these how have magical beliefs because the things we've been talking about today I'm kind of guessing at my answers that I'm giving here it would be interesting to actually ask people directly and do some numbers kind of crunching or some qualitative analysis of people's uh, people answers go so why why do you believe in magic what, what does it do to make your world better what's what's in it for you because it takes sometimes a lot of time and effort like why do you do this crazy stuff that your your friends would probably laugh at if they knew some of what, what things you got up to so um, that's something that i'm looking to do in the the, the, the future there when you have done that research <laughs> let us know yes yeah. absolutely yeah. good luck well that's and great also, yeah. also I'm going to be doing more travelling and maybe start doing some of the art and craft projects that I've been oh. sort of meaning to for ages so. that's great that's great 
You've got lots of new ideas by the sound of it. That's very good. That is very good. Well, thank you both for a lovely uh, almost 75 minutes in your company. And uh, that was that was really great. Mark, thanks for being my co-host here today and for having brought us Nikki here. And uh, Nikki, thanks for being, as you said, doing public facing here on the Sauce Hermes podcast. That was really, really a highly interesting and very nice talk thank you both i wish you both mm -hmm. all the best and um well i hope we'll meet again here or elsewhere when you do traveling to vienna uh maybe researching the iot austria <laughs> or whatever let me yes, know yes, uh, yes. nikki and certainly, um, certainly good luck to both of you thank you very much rudolf and thank you mog for inviting me on here it's been a pleasure it's good thanks thanks, thanks mog bye now <clears throat> bye
Karma by Asteroid, concluding our show here today with Psychedelic Rock. Of course, that's what it was. And it was great to have Nikki with us here, uh, get her knowledge to you. And uh, also wonderful to have Mock Morgan here as a co-host. Um, thank you both. Thank you both for being with me here on the show. Thank you also for your patience that this episode was delayed by one week. And thank you all, my listeners, for that same very patience. So, um, well, what's going to happen next week? Well, I do sincerely hope it'll be next week. No, seriously, I have no plans to postpone it. But you never know. It's just very, very busy times at the moment. So, um I do my best to be punctual again next week, next Sunday, which will be July the 10th. And on that episode number 19, which it will be, I have somebody who suddenly has, at least in my eyes, I don't know if that was a personal impression or if it was really so. We are going to have a talk about that and you will find out. Um, Frater Barabbas is back, I have the impression. I've been a long-time fan of his blog, and his magic blog, and uh, um, suddenly, well, for some time I didn't receive any update on that blog, and suddenly, uh, for the last several weeks, suddenly uh, we have regular posts, very interesting as usual again, talking about ritual magic is the title of his blog, and um, that inspired me to get in touch with him again, and um, well, here we are. We will have him on the show next week. Frater Barabbas will be my guest and it will be a pleasure to present our talk to you, dear listeners. So that was our episode here for today, I believe. So once again, if you have comments, please do let me know. If you have any good ideas to support the show, let me know and become a patron. And uh, for the moment, thanks to everyone who does already support the show. Who, but thanks to everyone, especially who listens to this show. It's great to have you each week. And in the coming week, do take care. It's times, still times that are not easy. Uh, let's see what's coming the next few months. And, um, well, for the time being, um, I wish you good week. Take care. Stay tuned, hear you soon.